Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Matt Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. It may not be a typical subject for hip-hop music, but Christopher Emden thinks a lot more budding scientists should be using rap to understand chemistry. Well, I would argue that the, the chief reason why kids don't connect to science is because of the way the science has been presented and the way the science has been taught, and also perceptions of science. So students see scientists as, you know, this older white male who stays somewhere in the lab. They don't see science as a part of who they are. So Emden shows teachers how to use hip-hop to teach science. He says students connect with the vocabulary and concepts they're learning much better when it's tied to their culture and music. Teachers say it works. Based on what they wrote in the rap, I can tell that they understand the concepts that they're including. They're not just throwing words together. At the Marie Curie School for Medicine, Nursing, and Health Professions in the Bronx, Science is a particularly important part of the curriculum. But students say high school science isn't easy. So using hip-hop to study has made a big difference. Sometimes you're just sitting there and the teacher can be talking and kids lose it. But when you make it with hip-hop, something that they're interested in, they'll pay more attention to it. Emden also hopes that if these students become health professionals, they'll be able to speak the language of science in a way that their patients can relate. You know, the, the, the thing about this room, a, a science lab, it, it can welcome hip-hop if educators chose to allow it to. Because, you know, people talk all the time about culturally relevant pedagogy, culturally responsive pedagogy, but if we look more broadly at the intersections of the culture of people of color, it's hip-hop. So, 
I mean, yeah, here we are at, at, you know, at Marie Curie High School in the Bronx. To me, the fact that you have a graph teacher that the entree way into the school, it just speaks to the fact that, you know, we're welcoming who you are. Um, and so they see themselves when they walk in every day. They see their culture represented when they walk in every day. And then you go in, and in the classroom where the teachers are working on this hip-hop based approach to science, you know, we're hoping great things happen.
crush, playing a music in the classroom. Yeah. Like, even though it's not visible, it's like symbolically, if I have to hear the same sound that I hear outside, it sort of makes science seem like it's a little bit more connected. So that's, that's why I did it. Now you know, secrets are real. It's really a focus on getting urban youth who have traditionally not been able to be successful in these disciplines to finally feel like I can wear a lab coat and I can rhyme and I can dance and I can do graffiti, and all of that is all mixed together into who I am. But I don't have to extract who I am from being academically successful. Right? I think that's the beauty of the world. My name is Christopher Emden. I am an assistant professor at Futures College, Columbia University, in the Department of Science Education. And the title of my co-authored paper with Oki Lee from the University of Miami is Hip Hop, the Obama Effect in Urban Science Education. And the paper is really an outgrowth of four years of study in urban settings, trying to find ways to get youth to be more engaged in science. And so in this paper, I really focused on hip hop and hip hop culture. Um, and then delving deeply into the literature, found that all the work that is done in hip hop and hip hop based education focuses exclusively on either literacy or social studies. And so in this paper, I really sort of uh, push against the existent literature in hip-hop-based education by saying it's about time we look at hip-hop more as a cultural understanding, uh, a way of knowing and being that youth are involved in, a distinct way of talk, a distinct way of dress, um, a, a distinct sort of way of looking at the world. There are things about hip-hop culture that are distinctly scientific. The ways of communication of scientists are replicated in hip-hop. Uh, the, 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 the collaboration with scientists, I always tell folks, you know, when was the last time you saw a scientist write a single-authored paper? They're all co-authored. This, this connection between experts in a field in describing their experience is purely scientific, but it's also purely hip-hop. Um, the, the notion of observation as a key tenet of science. I mean, rappers all the time base their raps based on observations of their life. And so hip-hop, in a sense, is so attuned and so aligned to science that, uh, you know, as educators, we have to be more aware of the fact that we can use this tool to connect youth to the discipline. And then also the Obama effect. And so, you know, the question always is, what is the Obama effect? And there's been some scholars and researchers that, that have looked at this idea of the effects that the, um, the running for office and subsequent election of President Obama has had on people from various urban settings. You know, what is it about Obama's presence that has had an impact on people? And people oftentimes connect to him because of his African-Americanness, some, some for his biracialness. But I find that youth in urban settings connect with, with President Obama really because of his hip-hopness, so his exhibition of certain hip-hop-type characteristics. Uh, and this could be superficial to the fact that you, if you ask him, he says, you know, he has Jay-Z or, you know, in his iPod. But, but also the distinct sort of ways of talk and dress. So the fact that over the course of the primaries, he gave, you know, Michelle Obama a pound. Or when he was being critiqued, he dusted his shoulders off. And so these sort of really, you know, fine, not really overt, exhibitions of hip-hop characteristics go over the head of the layperson. But for youth who are immersed in hip-hop, they say, wow, this, this dude is down with us. If they connect to President Obama and the fact that he's sort of a key figure in a political sphere, um, then maybe we can use his presence to open them up to new worlds beyond the local worlds that they're embedded in.
and good evening, and welcome to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, hosting you tonight, and hope that you are well uh, on these last days of summer. Fall has entered the atmosphere here in New England, and we are enjoying a stiff, breezy, uh, not yet chilly, but knowing it is not summer. Thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground, and uh, if you are listening either on a smart device or your computer, um, and um, you want to join our chatters in our chat room, you can come to our uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash, that's going to the right, OCG. And thank you once again. Tonight we are going to be with our guest, um, Dr. Christopher Emden. He is an assistant professor in the Department of Mathematics, Science, and Technology at Teachers College, Columbia University, where he serves also as Director of Secondary Education Initiatives at the Urban Science Education Center. And we will tell you more about him. And our discussion is going to be centered around tonight this familiar frame in the uh, African-American, American education discourse that African-American children score lower on standardized tests, graduate high school at lower rates, and are considerably more likely to be to be suspended or expelled than the general population. And here at Our Common Ground, we have had ongoing discussions about how we can engage our children, how we can become more innovative in attracting them to excellence in education. There are some activist groups and educational researchers who feared, and rightfully so, that the systemic federal evaluation, which co- which was conducted or still is under uh, the Bush administration's No Child Left Behind law, have given schools and states powerful incentive to lower achieving students out of their general population to special education, education placements, and that's been one of the problems. And then there is a discussion that we have had more than a million times at our common ground, and that is the practice of pushing struggling students out of school to boost test scores uh, for higher federal funding. But there is something else, and that is the imperative that we face in fashioning and framing a more effective, out-of-the-box, innovative, culturally competent model of education for our children. I mean, I know a lot of you are engaged in what Mitt Romney said yesterday and what the president might say tomorrow and what the talking heads are saying. But I am encouraging you that that game is over. And where we missed the train, where we forgot to get on or even buy a ticket at the inauguration of our first African-American president 
was to be prepared to insist on the transformation of educational strategies and models so that our children can effectively be educated and especially get engaged in science and technology because that is where an educational investment is going to pay off for this future generation and thereby here at Our Common Ground tonight, we have asked the author of the book, Urban Science Education for the Hip-Hop Generation, and he is also a columnist for the Huffington Post, where he writes the Emden 5 series. He holds a Ph.D. in urban education with a concentration in mathematics, science, and technology, and a master's degree in both natural science and education administration. And this man has degrees that are unbelievable. But I want to tell you about his research, which focuses on issues of race, class, and diversity in urban science classrooms by using a new theoretical framework to transform education and urban school reform. He researches, he consults, and he speaks all over the country on issues such as science, engineering, mathematics, and uh, we are so very pleased to be able to say good evening to Dr. Christopher Emden. Good evening, doctor. How are you? And thank you for joining us here tonight. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you, and thank you for the kind introduction. Well, you know, one of the things that I do on this show, this is not serious radio, this is serious radio. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and we try to make sure that our listening audience uh, comes to our guests informed about what you do, what you're proffering in your uh, feel of expertise so that they can formulate uh, a good base to think about what you're saying. So that's why we take the time at the beginning of the program uh, to be able to assist everyone to being on the same page. But uh, tell us about your work uh, t and, and, and let us know where you are in that work and I'm particularly interested, um, years ago I worked with uh, Dr. Ronald Ferguson over at Harvard University on mm -hmm. issues having to do with disciplinary strategies for African-American children in public schools. Right. Uh, and there was another doctor who was doing some work on hypersegregation. So, but tell us about your work. Absolutely. Well, first I want to say thank you for the for the introduction and, and just playing those clips to sort of foreground the conversation we're having this evening, just so the audience sort of knows where the work lies. And where I am in the work, to be frank, you know, my work and my research is driven by a frustration. And it's a frustration with what goes on in classrooms. So it's a frustration in going into classrooms, seeing black and brown faces, disinterested from, from the school, uh, not able to, be succeed, to succeed academically, and saying, I see a problem in the school. And then being a scholar and a researcher, going to listen to what the scholars and the researchers are doing and saying. And, and all they're saying is, listen, there is a problem in the school. 
And then I go in and listen to the politicians, and the politicians are saying there's a problem in the school. President Obama is saying that educational uh, inequity is the civil rights issue of our era. Mitt Romney is saying that education issues is the civil rights issues of our time. And what we're, what we're doing is we're spinning our wheels. Everybody is describing the fact that there's a problem. Well, we are well aware that there is a problem. And so, you know, my, my belief is that we are at a juncture where we have to start talking about solutions. And solutions at this juncture has to focus explicitly on the culture of young people. Because in this country, we've done everything so far to reframe education. We've talked about progressive education. We've talked about changing policies. We've had no child left behind, a race to the top. You know, we've changed superintendents. We've changed education advisors. We've done every single thing except focus on the culture of young people. And that, that is the last frontier because young people are being deeply engaged in the culture of something like hip-hop. They're exhibiting the same skills and dispositions that the most prolific scientists of our time have exhibited within hip-hop culture, and then they're going into schools and they're disinterested, and they're getting suspended, and people are viewing them as anti-intellectual, when once they leave that school building, they're engaging in practices that are hyper-intellectual. And so my work is to ensure that the lines between the intelligence that they, that they exhibit outside the classroom and the non-academic skills that they're showing inside the classroom become blurred. And we get to a point where we realize that these youth have potential. And the fact that they're not successful in STEM education, science education, technology education, engineering education, and mathematics education is not a function of their lack of intelligence, but rather it's a function of the, 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 the school system's inability to, to find a way to connect with these young people. And that, in essence, is what drives the work. Well, let me, let me ask you a question before we go further and uh, about the president's new initiative that was kicked off uh, back in July, mm -hmm. uh, where he signed a new initiative to improve edu educational outcomes for African Americans. Um, and here we are, 60 years since the Brown versus Board of Education. And you're absolutely right. I have been broadcasting for over 25 years, and very early in my broadcasting career, talking with people like Dr. Jawanza Kunjufu and Dr. Naeem Akbar and Dr. Absolutely. Amos Wilson and every other doctor in the country uh, who, who was at that time pioneering um, the, the, the scholarly work about African-American children and educational modems, and we still haven't. As a matter of fact, we're worse off now than we were then, and that was in the 80s. I mean, I think one so, of the biggest disservices that we've done in education is not pay attention to these, to these, to these, to these, these leaders of thought um, on the policy level. So, absolutely. Well, you know, they and and it is, um, uh, Doctor um, Emden, it is a political, and that's what I want our listeners to understand that there is a political element here that acts as an impediment, or a, a impediment, a barrier to us getting to the issues that we need to get to from cradle to career on education. Absolutely. And part I, of it is, and I, I really want to ask you, mm -hmm. uh, here you come talking about the hip-hop generation, <laughs> and um, I'm wondering what the policy, how the policymakers that you engage with uh, at both the community level 
and at the legislative level and the policymaking level at the local and state area, what's their response to what you are saying? Well, I've gotten a bevy of responses. So some of the responses have been, you know, what is this man talking about? Um, some other responses have been, you know, there's no there's no way for us to necessarily, you know, identify and quantify culture, Doctor. And then so so what you know what do you mean? And, and my responses for those people have been the fact that this is not just an idea that some guy came up with. That that this approach to hip hop education is rooted in research, decades long research in urban classrooms. Um, there's we've had uh, young young people from schools in the Bronx end up becoming science majors, graduating with biochemistry degrees by by function of the, this approach to education. And so when you when you confront people with the fact that this is an approach that is research-based, that has, has given success, they're more apt to listen. And I think another thing for us to realize is that, you know, we are at a point where now people are being forced to confront the fact that ignoring the needs of people of color in the world of education no longer is an issue of sort of race and class. It's also now an issue of sort of our national and global standing. I think for a very long time, for example, in the post-50s era, in, a, in the post-Sputnik era in the 1950s, you know, to, to identify a certain population as the best and brightest and a certain population as not the best and brightest was part of a societal belief system. Um, and, and so people sort of, they, they got that, but a lot of folks who weren't people of color realized, like, listen, if we ignore the needs of black and brown folks, we'll still be okay as a country. We're a numerical majority. Well, now we're in a space where the census is telling us by 2050 that who we have identified as the minority population will now be the majority. We, we, we come to realize that the students who occupy public schools are more folks of color than other populations. And so people who are not moved by a focus on race and class at one juncture have come to realize that for the sustenance of the nation, we have to we have to invest in the needs of the people that you have forgotten, and so my work is also is, you know reminding them like listen, you guys have done this. You 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 explicitly sort of extracted these folks from being a population that is successful. And so if you want this country to still survive, if you want there to still be jobs in this nation, then then we have to focus on this population. And and, and you know it, it, it's a cry of of emergency, and and unfortunately it takes to be in a space and time where there is an emergency for folks to listen. And I think that we've had the air of some folks on the policy level and the school level now. Well, you know, at one point we were talking about this the issue of uh, the widening gap between black and white, and now we're talking about another kind of gap, and that is between affluent and non-affluent, mm-hmm. rich and poor. And one of the things that I hear on this program from my listeners a lot is the notion that politically, uh, as as this country moves to, toward uh, a, a, a terrible and a very destructive right-leaning, that we're also detecting that there may be a lessening of both funding and focus on public education for American children. What's your take on that? Well, you know, here's a really fascinating thing about this sort of public and private debate is that the the nation more broadly has realized that public schools have failed uh, folks of color and poor folks. I I think, you know, people have realized that. Whether you're on the left or on the right, we realize that this hasn't worked. But but the, 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 the the really sort of fascinating thing about this is by function of us realizing that we have we have destroyed the public school system, and people have sort of understood and commanded that, there people have in, in, in this notion of privatizing education have created an alternative, 
and people don't question the alternative. They know that schools, public schools are bad on a grand scale, although that's not really the, the, the case in all situations, but that's a grand narrative. So if you know all public schools are bad, they say, hey, we have something that's different. And we all start running like crazy people to what's different without realizing that what's different is just another form of oppression in schooling. Um, and, and so, and, and so it, a, a, lot of, a lot of folks who, who have been frustrated with the public school system have been bamboozled into expecting that a new charter or privatized system will be one that will be successful for youth of color when in reality it's a different form of oppression. And this is not to say that all private schools are bad. It's not to say that all public schools are bad. But the reality is that if neither of those forms of schooling um, focus on the culture of people of color, then we're going to have the same results. And, and this is what brings me to hip-hop, you know. This is, this is, this is where hip-hop becomes the, 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 the theme that we generate because it is the largest cultural phenomenon of our time. It is a culture. It is not a music. It's not a, it's not a choice for people to be in hip-hop. Hip-hop has been used by this nation to actually go overseas to have folks who don't like people from the United States as a, as a way to sort of to, 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 to temper the tension because they like the culture that's produced by the people within this country. And so hip-hop has become the voice for the marginalized. It's a way of dress, a way of knowing, and a way of being, a way of interacting um, that, that a lot of folks who have been marginalized from success in school have embraced. And so because it's become this wide swath in which we can sort of capture the imaginations of such a wide array of young people, you know, that has, it's now become the theme through which we can transform education. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the hip-hop culture. Uh, Mark, uh, Dr. Mark um, Anthony Neal, who has been uh, a, 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 a friend as well as uh, a guest on this show, has been trying to form my brain around this whole revolution of hip-hop. And one of the things that gets into way, in the way, and I'm sure many of my listeners um, and, who are listening to the show tonight and listening to you will offer the following, uh, that at the emergence of hip-hop, of rap music, there was such uh, hostility within our own community about what that music meant mm -hmm. and the direction in which it was going that some of us didn't pay very close attention to when hip-hop entered the scene and how it it transformed where we wa were at this fork in the road or even a juncture of hip-hop mm -hmm. and rap. So we get it confused. I mean, yeah. when... when when I get ready to go and file for my Social Security <laughs> and, and I'm in the line and want to talk about the difference between rap and hip-hop, I am even at a place where, and Michael Eric Dyson, Dr. Michael Eric Dyson and Dr. Cornel West have all been friends of this program for many years, and I get confused about trying to explain what this revolution is all about. So let's talk about it in the context of the music and the rhythm. And a then absolutely. we can talk about it in the context of the message. Absolutely. And then we can talk I mean a lot of people who listen to this to this broadcast 
are people mm-hmm. who call up and they're complaining about the swaggy pants, and they're complaining about the short skirts and the purple eyeliner and the <laughs> whatever else is going on. Um, and in and I have um, two grandchildren and a daughter uh, who all have been growing up into in this hip hop culture, and sometimes I'm caught um, unaware of what it really means when I observe some behavior or hear some discussion. So so bring us along. I, I will do my absolute best. So what we have to recognize is that hip-hop on its own is a culture. So hip-hop is, is, is the evolution of the culture of black folks in America. The roots of hip-hop is the black church. The roots of hip-hop is, 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 is wading the water. It, 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 it's, it's a Negro tradition and spiritual. The, 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 it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the anti-establishment ethos. It, hip-hop is, is, is the contemporary interpretation of, of, of how the slaves had to recreate a culture so that they can deal with the oppression at the hands of the slave master. So hip-hop culture is black culture. It's just it's it's just how it's evolved over time. Rap is an artifact of hip hop. It's a thin slice of the complexities of hip hop culture. It, 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 it is you know the way that young people have been able to find a voice by talking about their expressions over beat and rhythm and with rhyme. But if you if rap did not exist, this is the best way to explain it. That if rap music did not exist, there still would be hip hop culture. Rap music has been the most visible. It's become the most commercially successful or, in, in some cases, the most colonized form of, 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 of hip-hop culture, but it is but one thin slice. And once the audience starts to realize that what you see in young people today is not a function of rap music. When you see young people who are angry and who are frustrated, that's not a function of rap music. Rap music becomes the way which they tell that story. But if, in fact, we should be happy we have rap. Because if young people didn't have a voice to express their frustrations through rap music, their frustrations will be expressed in so many other different ways. There will be at some point a form of expression anyway. We're lucky that we have created a mechanism for them to be able to have some voice. Um, and so what I want the audience to recognize is that hip-hop is an evolution of our culture. And we cannot shun hip-hop because what, it, what comes out of it is sometimes negative. What we have to do is embrace hip-hop so that what comes out of it can be the negative as well as the counter-narrative to the negative. Um, and, and, so, and so once we're able to do that and we're able to embrace hip-hop, then we get to a point where we can see new possibilities. I tell folks of color all, all the time especially folks of color who are of, of an older generation, that you cannot afford to be a person that advocate, advocates against rap music you, or, or against hip-hop culture. You can't afford to do that because if you, if you as an, a person from the older generation is, are, is rallying against the culture of the young people, then it means that you are acquiescing with the dominant narrative that says that people of color should have no voice because hip-hop is what's providing that voice. Um, and, and so the, the chief dis- distinction is that rap is a thin slice, and then we get into the different nuances of rap. What are the pillars of hip-hop? What is it about graffiti that, we, that, 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 that shows the artistic intellect of our people? You know, what is it about uh, b-boying, breakdancing, movement, and verb that actually exhibits a certain science-mindedness? What is it about the roots of hip-hop 
the five percenters, the fact that they merged, that they, they created actual, actual mathematical and scientific symbols as a way to, to, to display what was going on in their lives. You know, what is it about that culture that's beautiful, that's being closed by the corporate forces that are distorting the messages of hip-hop and then selling the older generation these distorted messages so they can counter their own, so they can counter those who are their ancestors, uh, who, I mean, who are, who are the next generation? Well, it, it also uh, has to be our giant powers to be able to transpose our own lives um, into into the future. For instance, um, when I'm a child of the '60s, and there was nobody like Isaac Hayes, who in my generation was a rapper, and Marvin Gaye who was a rapper. And even if you think about it, uh, The Temps and The Four Tops, Smokey was a rapper. Absolutely. Uh, You know, but one of the things that we haven't done is to transcend the style transformation. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to do that because one of the things, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of sharing 60s culture, my culture, with young people. I love it that my grandchildren love James Brown and they mm. love Michael Jackson and they they absolutely adore um, uh, the temptations and learning to do the the steps. So I think we do, and I, and I thank you for saying that that we do kind of like need to catch up. Uh, and begin to integrate because if we don't, we have no voice in in this cult in in in, in this generation. You are um, absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. So I mean, I'm getting it. Um, Mark Anthony Neal would be very proud of, and Jelani Cobb's, Cobb would be very proud of me in saying that because I've been having this discussion with them for years. You know, and I'm much older. I met them when they were in undergraduate school. So uh, it um, it it helps to really try to help people think think this through. And one of the things is, you know, the old what I always say to people, um, Christopher, is that uh, we have to go back to the old saying of the Vietnam War. Um, you take what you can use and leave the rest. Absolutely. You know, and that's how I feel. I mean, uh, I actually went to battle with two live crew when they came up on the scene, on the air, off the air. They harassed me, and I harassed them back. Um, They dared me to come to their party when they rolled out this horrid um, CD and I showed up, and I brought the press with me because I thought that what they were doing was harmful. But and, and at the needed. same time, but, that's only one group. Right. Right. I, for one thing, first of all, that's only one group. But second of all, that's also needed. One thing that I want to sort of, and, and I'm, I'm saying this because you, you, you mentioned that we're sort of we're speaking to an audience that may be a sort of wider, wider age range. You know, one thing you have to realize when we, when older folks critique uh, contemporary hip hop music, 
and I and I hate to sort of blame folks, but but you know we are all partly responsible because hip hop culture is birthed from a from a newer generation. What culture exists without ancestors? What culture exists? What young person can grow up and be a fully actualized person without adults in their lives to guide them in the right direction? And what you mm-hmm. describe by sort of drawing those connections back to Isaac Hayes, drawing those connections back to James Brown, drawing those connections back to, uh, to, to the Lost Poets, what you're doing is you're giving hip-hop parents. This, the hip-hop generation has no parents. Now, a parent can either be a person who's like, listen, you're going to go out there and you're going to do what you want to do and you learn the hard way and if you fall, you fall and, and I'm not so worried. But, but, but a true parent, a true teacher is one that says, this is what you're doing, but let me show you where you come from. And as you're doing this and you're using this culture and it's a beautiful thing, let me tell you where you're going the wrong way. Or explain to me where it is that you're trying to go next. And so the, some of the flaws of the, of, of the misogyny in hip-hop, the, the hyper-violence in hip-hop, is some of it is, is reflective of the environment of the artists, of course. Some of it is also glorified versions of the violence that they see. And sometimes the fact that that is hyper-visible instead of the other narratives in hip-hop is a function of the fact that our older generation have failed us because they've refused to take us on and teach us through our new culture. And, and, and so when, 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 you know, part of the blame for the sort of hyper-commercialization of certain forms of hip-hop, the responsibility for that is the corporation and, 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 and the fact that they've sort of colonized versions of the music. But, but you know, we are all sort of blamed because we have let our young folks grow up and we have not taught them and we have not shown them where their ancestry came from and we have not taught them how to use the powerful tools that they have developed effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm um, I, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation. Um, it 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 uh, um, you know, when my daughter was in the t- uh, ninth grade, she ran for president of her class, and her theme song was this song, "It Takes Two to Make Things Go Right" or something like that. Oh yeah, Rock Baby really, Easy Rock. <laughs> yeah, I really couldn't. I really didn't get it, even though I was recording the music and and the whole thing helping her, and I didn't get it about that song. And I listened to it about four months ago, and I mm. totally got it. Mm. Totally got what it related to about running for president of of your ninth grade class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally got it. And I think that we have to put in the time. Yeah. Uh, we can't afford to continue to read U.S. News and World Report, Ebony Magazine, even though Ebony's coming along, um, and others that speaks to our generation and our age group without also reading Afrobeats and mm. reading some DVDs and, and 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 understanding what Dr. Dre is saying and reading some do- Dr. Um, uh, Mark Anthony Neal and Jelani Cobb and I mean I try to every Saturday night uh, have lots of younger people in that generation who are scholars, um, uh, culture critic, uh, who who are part of the the hip hop generation, and mm-hmm. I try to read their stuff so yeah. that I can do the trans and I think it's real important to to transpose. Absolutely. So, I hope people are getting the message that this is a culture. It is a belief system. You know, uh, one of the things that I love about the hip-hop generation, and you spoke to it about some of the music, even though it is harsh, uh, it is, and it's just, music is only one part of culture. Absolutely. 
So um, the other is that it's, it's some of this in this culture. It's not the music you hear on the radio. It's not the music you hear blasting from people's cars. Some of the drums, we have to learn. I'm sorry to get so heavy on you, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Emden, but I want to Oh, no, I appreciate it. I, appreciate, I, I, I came to speak and also to learn. <laughs> the, the drums, the swagging pants is an utter beating of the drums of our time. <laughs> they I mean, are we, saying something to us, and you just hit it. You just hit it. Um, you just said that um, that in many ways we have failed. And one of the ways that we have failed is to allow our children not to to allow school boards and continue to elect uh, political figures who have no interest, have no competence. One of the things I'm so afraid of with this Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney is a dumbass. He knows nothing. His father paid for him to get through Harvard. That Mm. goes on. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was at Harvard Business School means that there were tutors and there was money waiting at the end of the voyage. So he got through. Bain Capital was a company that Mitt Romney couldn't explain the business model in a fluent, articulate way if you gave him another $180 million. I mean, you know. He paid people. Hey, hey, what's 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 so what's so what's so upsetting about this? You know that 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 narrative you explained is that beyond even the advantages that certain populations have, their culture and the culture of the school system are very closely aligned. So you have folks who are rooted in a way of knowing and being that requires writing text, giving text back. You know, uh, g- give you information, give you a certain type of written assessment. That there, there are ways of knowing and being and interaction from the time that they were young people until the time they were, they, that they grew up was along these same lines. And our people and our young people, particularly youth who are in urban settings, come from a different way of knowing and being, a more communal way of knowing and being, right? Where, where our interaction on a daily day basis is through call and response. If you're from the housing project, somebody calls you from the window on the first floor, you reach out to the 10th floor, you don't use the intercom. You have certain... Certain codes, certain, 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 certain things that you say that people know where you are. You know, we we move as a people, focus on oral tradition. And you know, if you are somebody who is rooted in the tradition, and the ways of your ways of knowing and being culturally are completely different than the modes of assessment within a traditional schooling system, you will not be as successful. And I've done this this slight research. I've gone into certain schools and I've seen the kids who score very well on exams. And they score well on the written exam, on the standardized exam at the end of the year. And then we say, let's expand the assessment just a little bit. Instead of just writing down the information or just memorizing the information and spitting it out to me, which has caused you to get an A all along your academic career, why don't you come up there and you describe it to us? Why don't you tell us a story? Why don't you create a narrative? And the kid who gets an A all of a sudden starts getting an F because they are no longer being assessed based on the fact that they can soak in information and spit it back out. Our young people actually have a more complex phase of knowing and being. They make connections. They use metaphor. They use analogy. They tell a story. They describe a process. Why does the assessment of intelligence have to be of a way that is only 
only specified to a distinct population. And, and this is what I'm doing by, by, by using this hip-hop-based approach to education, that if we expand the assessment, we start uncovering the brilliance of our young people that all along we've been told don't do well. And, and by using a hip-hop-based approach to instruction and assessment, you start finding out that the kid who was getting a 30 because you were only assessing him by this one thin slice of who he is, it's a, it's a brilliant, it's a genius in waiting. And, and once you are able to open up that genius, then you get them engaged in the schooling. And once you get them engaged in schooling and passionate about schooling and feeling success in schooling, then we can get to a point where we can help them to be successful on the conventional assessment. But if you're starting with the conventional assessment first and not giving them an, a chance or an opportunity to express their brilliance, then they're always going to be pushed to the margins. And so this, and infusing hip-hop into education is not just a, a novelty act. It's also a way of expanding the assessment repertoire, expanding the instructional repertoire so we can allow a different population to finally see the fact that they are intelligent because we know they're intelligent because of the, the, the things that they're doing within hip-hop culture. Wow. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Dr. Christopher Emden. He's an assistant professor in the Department of Mathematics, Science, and Technology at Teachers College at Columbia University and the author of Urban Science Education for the Hip-Hop Generation. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about him, especially focusing on how we engage our children in science and technology. Um, our number is 347-838-9852 if you'd like to talk with him. And 276, I see you on the board, and we'll take your call when we come back. I'm Janice Graham, speaking truth to power and ourselves. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Hey, John Boner, can you come here and hold my gum? Alpha and I will be right back. Stay tuned. around you. One in four kids in the U.S. faces hunger. It's not always easy to see the signs, but in this land of plenty, there are kids that don't know where they will get their next meal. Join Share Our Strength in Food Network and take the pledge to end childhood hunger here in America by 2015. Learn how at nokidhungry.org. Their next meal could come from you. This is Janice Graham of Our Common Ground. I'd like to invite you to a very special Our Common Ground broadcast on September 22nd. We'll be hosting as our guest, Ohio State Senator Nina Turner. She is the talkback, pushback legislator in the state of Ohio and is a warrior model for all black elected officials. We hope you'll join us with Senator Nina Turner on September 22nd, 10 p.m., Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. 
I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Where spirit matters. Across the board, the reality of racism, the part it is playing in frustrating the aspirations of millions of black children all across this country through poverty, through inferior public schooling, through poor health care, etc., and recognize the part that racism plays in that, or, 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 or we aren't. And if we aren't going to recognize it for them, then we're not going to make any excuses about policy failures in the White House either. If it ain't no excuses for them, it ain't no excuses for him. If they can, if they can face the hell that they're catching and still be expected to succeed, then damn it, we expect to get a public option. And we expect to see some social justice. And we expect to be some, see something done about the plight of the poor. Don't give me that the economy is too bad. You know why? Because we got no excuses. Because we it's a zero-sum game. We believe. Only on TruthWorks Network. Your Wednesdays just got better. Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson. Wednesdays, 10 p.m., where spirit matters. You're tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. 20 years broadcasting black, bold, and brilliant. Thank you for being with us. Hey, Daddy, what that day? And why that on the day? And oh, Daddy, oh, hey, Daddy, look it over there. Hey, what they doing there? And where are they going there? And Daddy, can I have that big elephant over there? And we're glad to have you with us here tonight at Our Common Ground with our guest, Dr. Christopher Emden. His research focuses on issues of race, class, and diversity in urban science classrooms and the use of new theoretical frameworks to transform education and urban school reform. And Dr. Endon, we are so very glad to have you. And I do want to talk to you about what all this means and and how you frame all of this, uh, this, this new style of reform for our classrooms and what it means for teachers. Uh, what it means for students and what it means for parents because one of the things after reading um, um, some of your work and I I read with great interest your blog and for those of you who want to uh, go to Dr. Emden's um, website it's Chris Emden C-H-R-I-S-E-M-D-I-N dot com and he does have a blog site, and if you would like to engage in some of the, the very intriguing 
uh, subjects on that blog site, uh, blog site, please do. Um, <clears throat> because for you out there, don't forget that people who are doing this work are up against the wall. Nobody wants to see Dr. Christopher Emden come talking about some uh, using hip-hop generation to explain it as a hip-hop culture. and uh, They want black children to do just like they want you to do what they want you to do. They'll mm-hmm. suppress your vote. They will fire you from your job. They will kill your spirit and expect you to, to perform. Mm-hmm. They'll do the same thing to him. They'll do the same thing to Jelani Cobb and others uh, like um, Dr. Mark Anthony Neal who are trying to show that we need transformation, not just change, but transformation. But one of the things that you can do is insist that the outcomes got to be different. Our number is 347-838-9852. Dr. Emden, I'd like to take this call. 276 has been holding to talk with us. 276, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground. Good evening. I just wanted to make some uh, points, and then you can answer them. Uh, I I listen to your answer off the air. And before I say what I have to say, I want to just uh, let you all know that I am coming in late in the conversation. So if I said something wrong, just uh, keep that in mind. Uh, well, there's no wrong sayings here. We'll get you okay. straight. <laughs> all right. My first point is I think that uh, rap music is no greater than, and I'm not saying that you all said that, but it's just the points I'm making. Uh, first of all, I don't think rap music is no greater than the blues or anything else that came before it. And on top of that, today is given too much credit. I mean, it's, uh, it's just music, and it's, it's given so much credit, it's, it's bordering on the ridiculous and obscene. Uh, my second point is young people I know aren't talking about how to use uh, rap, so-called music, to speak truth to power. They are in the ditch materialism mentality. And those that are on the more positive ends are on the extreme margins. Number three, no one talks about how rap plays a part in the dumbing down of society to the youth. Uh, and as an example, I look at the music itself. Music is uh, composed of melody, harmony, and rhythm. All rap has is just rhythm. And, and I know there's no fault of their own because of this, uh, the art's being taken out of the school, but still uh, it plays a part in the dumbing down of society because everything is related. And uh, even David D., I noticed you all mentioned him. I can't remember the guest who was on the show, but uh, it was around the time uh, Michael Jackson was so-called, so-called dad. I think he was murdered, but that's another story. Uh, it was around that time. Uh, a guest on his show even uh, uh, even admitted that the quality of, of, of not the music, but uh, the rapping itself is in decline, and the rappers of today uh because I'm not talking about the rappers, I'm talking about the, the commercialized so-called mainstream. They would be laughed off the stage if they would uh, come with their weak game uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, I'm not some old kook, even though I'm in my 40s, who uh, just hate or what young people are doing now because public enemy changed my life. Uh, when I listened to that, that album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, 
I learned about Malcolm X, and that led to me learning about the civil rights movement and other things. I, and uh, the more I learned about my culture, I had to give up the European name. I, I uh, reclaimed my fame. And my last point is uh, I believe, like John Henry Clark and others, that Cornel, especially Cornel West and others, uh, Michael Eric Dyson and others of that ilk of fakers, period. Uh, you all have a good evening. Well, the, hold, hold on. <laughs> this is our common ground, and we have a diversity of opinions here. And Absolutely. You're, you know, so let's let's get a response uh, from Dr. Emden for you. Okay. And see where we go from there. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to say how much I appreciate your call and taking the time out to share your opinion this evening. Um, you know, I, I never take for granted someone who is thinking deeply about our conversation. And um, and then in response, I want to say the, the fact that, and, and, and this is part of the point I made earlier on, is, you know, we oftentimes as human beings, it's a function of humanness, right, that, that we, we, we dwell in this place of a collective nostalgia. It's, it's like, you know, we get lured to sleep by the seduction of our history and our past. And so, you know, so from, from our vantage point right now, we can say, oh, man, you know, I don't think hip-hop nowadays is bad. I don't like, it's not like I don't like what the young kids are doing, but, man, when public anything is out, that really changed my life and put me on this new path and helped me see differently. And the reality is that today there are big fiascos and Jaseri X's who, who, are, who are providing counter-narratives and different messages as well. And so that's just a, this is a, just sort of first layer. And, and the second layer is that I will never, and no one will ever hear me say publicly um, in, in the sphere of the audience that, you know, all rap music is it's not musical, it lacks this, it lacks that, it lacks that, because part of our initial conversation and part of what I advocate for is that you never shun the, what is created by your people. You, when, when we get to the point where we start dismissing an entire genre or an entire culture based on what somebody told you you should like or should not, you should, we should start questioning whether or not it is our true opinion or whether or not the images that record companies have marketed to us about the negativity that's inherent in who we are is being sold back to us, and unfortunately we are believing it and reading it and perceiving it. I don't advocate for all hip-hop, but I also do realize that not that the messages that we're being given to dismiss the entire culture or the, the, the entire artifact is flawed. And then thirdly, I agree. Rap ain't hip-hop. I, I say that every opportunity I get. Rap is the chief artifact of hip-hop. But when we start saying hip-hop is bad, instead of saying some rap music is bad, then we have to start looking at ourselves and saying, what are we saying about our own culture? Are we saying our own culture is bad? Um, and, and so those, those things, you know, have to be put into question. And, and we haven't even gotten to the point where, you know, today we just, we just laid the backdrop. You might have to invite me back. Because, you know, now that we've talked about this larger landscape of valuing hip-hop, what I want to focus on is how can we use it in classrooms. And I'm not just talking about, you know, rapping the text. I've done that work. And, you know, kids can rap the science people and memorize it. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about introducing the complexities of blackness through hip-hop culture to transform schooling, um, training teachers differently, educating young people differently. And I argue that I can't do that without hip-hop. Um, and so with all due respect, brother, um, and, 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 and with complete appreciation for your stance, um, I would have to disagree on the fact that hip-hop does have value. Rap is music. In fact, rap is literature. Um, and, 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 and rap is not hip-hop, but I will never throw away the baby with the bathwater. 
that hip hop is still powerful, is still alive, and is still transformative. Absolutely, sir. Uh, I, first of all, I never did say that all rap is, is garbage or whatever. What I said is those people that uh, those young people that I speak to on a constant basis, they're on the nigger bitch, uh, extreme materialism mentality. And those that are positive are on the extreme friends, and that's just a fact. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, and the, the, uh, the fact that the music uh, is, uh, I didn't say it wasn't music, but it, it doesn't, it's not music in the traditional sense. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't have harmony, rhythm, and melody. All it has is just rhythm. And just going by that definition, it's not uh mm-hmm. It's not music. I know I didn't make up the definition, but that's that's what the definition of music is. And uh, uh, I'm not throwing out the baby with the bath water. I'm just throwing away. The, I'm throwing away the bath water. <laughs> well, well, let me let me say something to you, caller, because you know uh, I I hear you, and one of the a premise that we have to embrace is that education is a community process. And one of the things that you and I have not done is to engage the young people on the street in an academy to give them the foundation they need to wrap about what is important and what will be empowering to them. Just like you said, public enemy saved your life, teaching you Malcolm. Everything in our lives has changed over the last, I'm, I admit it, I'm 62 years old. Everything has changed since the day that I was born. And I'm also a musician. And the form of music, especially in African-American uh, created music, has changed from one generation to the other. If you think about blues, there were essentially six forms of blues, just as there are probably 26 forms of hip-hop. Some of them were singular instruments. Some of it had no instrumentation at all. So... Uh, when you when you think about people like Billy Eckstein, De- Dorothy Dandridge, um, Nancy Wilson, when they sang a cappella, that was a new form inside an existing music form. So I think we have to begin to do this. And one of the things that I suggest, this is Alternative Activist Empowerment Talk Radio, and we go beyond the rhetoric. And one of the things that we have to do is to make sure that in our community centers, in our schools, there is a way for our children to find the richness of themselves rather than to just mimic what everybody else is doing, talking about the niggas and the bitches. You see? I, I absolutely agree on that because as I especially uh, appreciate your remark about the blues because uh, before uh, the corporations back then, and you can learn this from the death of R&B by Nelson George, uh, the, uh, the blues back then, uh, it concentrated on the gamut of life, of the gamut of black life. But 
as a corporation got what? to do it. Which was what? Which was that? Let me stop you for a minute. Which was what? Uh, you know, we talked uh, about the good. It was the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, but uh, if you let me finish my point, but as the corporations got into it, it uh, excessively um, uh, concentrated on on sex and uh, especially illicit sex. And and if you look, look at that example, then look at rap, you'll see the same thing. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm not saying that all the youth are bad. But what I, but what I am saying is uh, the youth that are using it. Uh, the way some of the youth, because even in the 1980s, things weren't public, even though you had, I mean, things weren't perfect, even though you had public enemy, uh, most of the people were just passive listeners. And I, 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 I understand all that, but all I'm saying when, when I brought up those points and enumerated those points is that uh, we can't uh, give uh, rap music too much credit. It's, it's uh, just one facet of life, just like everything else. And, I'm not saying that your guest tonight is doing it, but in my opinion, a lot of the people like Michael Eric Dyson, Cornel West, and all that just jump on the bandwagon, and then I really uh, uh, concentrating on the, the the entire picture, and and, and basically they just just uh, uh, the music slash uh, scholar equivalent of ambulance chasers, and I, and I, uh, and until you show me uh, otherwise, I won't I won't burst from that point. Well, okay. what, 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 what I intend, what I intend to do is, first of all, say that we, we, we don't disagree, and I'm also presenting you otherwise. And, and so you said, unless you're proven otherwise, and what I'm, what I'm intending to share with you is that this is the otherwise, and the otherwise is when we take hip hop culture. Well, first of all, you also made a lot of points. We agreed on the fact that that what we see in hip hop is a function of the commercialization of the hip hop that's being sold back to us. So we agree on that point. And what the otherwise is, is the work that we're doing, which is introducing young people. We have a project that's going on now where we have a a world-renowned rapper, Jizzle from the Wu-Tang Clan, who's met with a world-renowned scientist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, and we're meeting with world-renowned music producers, hip-hop music producers. And, And, yes, rap is music because I'm not functioning on a Eurocentric definition of what music is. Music is what we create. And we are taking... Young people giving them themes in science and mathematics, giving them and telling them to create rhymes that are scientifically accurate at the same time maintaining the the, the, the cadence and the rhythm of traditional rap, and, and and merge the science and the rap and the music together in a in a fascinating way, so that they become to, they begin to see themselves as scientists. That's the otherwise. Another project we're doing is having teachers in classrooms. Observe how rap artists interact with an audience, how they make a crowd put their hands up and back down, how they, how they make an uh, audience hang on to their every word. These teachers that are in our classrooms are young people who can't get them to sit down and be quiet because they can't connect with them. And we're teaching teachers to study the interactions of rap audiences so that they can maneuver and change their practices in classrooms, and the results have been that the kids are more engaged and they're scoring higher. So if you were waiting for the otherwise or for the next step or the next level, Brother, this is it. We are using that culture to transform how teachers teach, help students learn, and actually redefining hip-hop, that hip-hop or even rap music doesn't have to be only niggas and bitches, that we're going beyond that for you to be able to make sense of complex scientific concepts in ways that they could never imagine. So right now, what we are doing with the culture is the otherwise. We are creating the counter-narrative. Well, we certainly thank you, and we hope you'll 
join us here each Saturday night. Uh, but I think that we have to have a consciousness that education is, if what we are doing right now is not working, we have to we we have to dance to the shift in paradigm. Adaptation is key. Thank you so very much, 276. We're going to go to 111 before we go into the science and technology curriculum um, uh, uh, frame-up. 111, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Well, thank you, uh, Ms. Janice Graham and Dr. Emden. Uh, a wonderful uh, show, dialogue, and it's message. India Declare, the India Declare Show, broadcasting Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Thank you for joining us, my dear sister. Well, you are too kind. You are too kind, Miss Janice. I, I, I just have a couple observations, okay? And I'll, 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 I'll give you Dr. Emden like just a little tiny backstory synopsis. I mean, to me. Um, um, that's what I'm learning from this dialogue. And as Ms. Janice Graham said, you know, uh, uh, there are people who who need to come along. I'm one of those, okay? And and um, let's see, how can I say? I mean, like my thing is, and coming from a music background, you know, father, jazz saxophonist, you know, I I, I really appreciate the depth uh, uh, and the and the spirit of music. Uh, and its creation and the texture, the varying textures of it, and, and, and its eternal richness. With that said, I suppose that my thing would be, um, uh, I would hope that as you as you two are speaking and as your caller just um, uh, uh, spoke to as well, I would hope that what we are able to put in is better so that what comes out is better. And, you know, I know that we are, like, in this transition phase. As Ms. Janice Graham just said, we are dancing to the shifting paradigm. Um, you guys spoke earlier about we need to trans, you know, we need transformation. And I guess my question, Dr. Emden, is isn't that transformation an internal process? In other words, like, are 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 we looking externally for the transformation or someone to come and help us transform and is it an organic authentic transformation an internal process and if we get better in then won't we get better i mean uh, um um uh my thing with and i say i'm not necessarily like i don't really follow hip hop that much like you know, I'm more of a talk news like nerd. So I just, you know, I don't um, like how some people say, "Well, that song changed my life." I don't have that story. So my thing is like, what turned me off was the anti-female stuff and the hyper super machismo. And I know that there are boardroom decisions that say, you know, give me more bitch, give me more hoe, you know, you know, tart it up, you know, thug it up. So I get that, but I guess what I'm I'm meaning is that when you guys speak, we need transformation. Isn't that on us? I mean, like, I can't look to anybody outside of us to do that work. Would you agree with that? I think it's, it's when you talk about whether it's an internal transformation or it's an external ex, external stimuli that activates it, that it's not, it's not either or. It's and and both. Um, that I think that there is ah. some work. 
absolutely. But there is something mm-hmm. that needs to be done internally, um, um, you know, deep in the souls of black folks <laughs> to, 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 to see themselves as other than they've been told they have been. And, and that internal, uh, deep psychological, psychosocial work must be done. But at the same time, in order to activate that process, we have to provide the appropriate external stimuli to get into action. And sociologists talk all the time about this intimate relationship between structure and agency, that the structures that play in any social sphere impact the agency of the participants to act. So if you, if you manipulate the structures externally, if you manipulate the external stimuli in a way that it's favorable enough to change something inside, then it activates the internal mechanism. And then we have both okay. going on. But if we wait to say, let's wait till it's internal, or let's just rest only and see what the external does, we will get nowhere. We have to get to a point where we provide the external phenomena and we keep manipulating those external phenomena until the point where that structure enacts the power to act of the participants to activate something internal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am completely, uh, that was such uh, an aha. Um, I am in complete concurrence with that. And, and, and what you are articulating and describing is, 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 is what, like, gnaws my craw, and I, I scream about it on the air. Um, like, because what you just described requires a depth of engagement, not just mm-hmm. passive engagement. Uh, what you just articulated requires, like, to be really into it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, you know, anybody who knows my work knows that, you know, at the same time that I that I advocate for hip-hop and, 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 and focusing on youth culture in more nuanced ways, mm-hmm. I'm also an intense critic of a lot of folks who fall under the umbrella of, 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 of rap pedagogy. The gentleman who called earlier, although he mentioned some folks who are iconic in, in, in the, in the mm-hmm. world of hip-hop education mm-hmm. that I extremely respect, there are a lot of other folks who say, hey, you know, this is new, this is popping, kids are rapping, let's, 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 let's go with the trend. You know, this work is not superficiality. If I wanted to pick mm-hmm. a, a, an area of research that was aligned to the work that I've been trained to do, I'd be doing work in physics and chemistry. I'd be sitting somewhere in the lab, you know, mm-hmm. work. If I was supposed to do what my, what my, what, what my heart was and what, what my mind has been trained to do, that's what I'm doing. This work that I'm doing is not by choice or by trend. It's by mm-hmm. what is necessary. And, and mm-hmm. that does take an, an intense, in-depth focus on hip-hop, a deconstruction of the experiences, right. taking the good, mm-hmm. the bad, and the ugly, welcoming it at all, finding out mm-hmm. what you can tease out of that, and, 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 and fastening that to make new possibilities. It's, it's, being, you, you are absolutely correct. Superficiality, the time for superficiality is over. The time for Thank saying, you. oh, I'm going to do hip-hop because the sound is over. Uh, you know, uh, what the... And, 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 mm-hmm. and, you know, what things like Prof- Professor Neal is doing, that, that, that they're repositioning mm-hmm. blackness and repositioning hip-hopness, that's where we need to go. And that means that in some respects we have to say some folks who are doing, you know, rap pedagogy and are, and are on the bandwagon, they have to get kicked off the bandwagon. Because right now mm-hmm. it's not about name, it's not about self, it's not about me. It is about the generation of scientists and mathematicians that we are letting fall by the wayside. Uh, look, uh, Dr. Emden, thank you so much. I... Um, um, I am new to your uh, expertise. However, uh, I look forward to um, uh, engaging with your work. Uh, and, uh, uh, again, uh, what you are describing and articulating and creating such a beautiful and intricate uh, visual for your listener uh, requires a serious disciplined engagement uh, that is ongoing. And I thank you, sir, for doing the work 
and for uh, uh, being able uh, uh, to answer that call, as you described, uh, uh, to bring us along, as Ms. Janice Graham uh, described. Uh, great show, uh, Dr. Inden, and thank you so very much, sir, uh, for your work. I look forward to engaging more. Thank, thank you, you Ms. so Janice much for the Graham. call. Thank you. Thank you. Thank that was Miss India Declare. She brings it real raw and right now, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., Monday through Friday, at the India Declare show. Dr. Emden, India made my point exactly. And I, I think that um, that, the, that what, the work that you are doing directly addresses challenges the outcome, the challenge of new outcomes that we need in our schools. So tell us about how does the intersection of education and the hip-hop generation work? How does that work? So it works on multiple levels. I, I think that we can't focus only on the student because if you just focus on getting the students engaged and you don't have the teachers engaged and, you, and they don't have the appropriate tools, then we lose. It also requires a shift in policy. Um, and so the work that I've been doing has been multi-layered. The first layer has been showing young people, because I'm a scientist by training and I'm focused on STEM education, is showing young people that they have the same skills, dispositions, attributes, talents, intelligence as the most brilliant scientists of our time, and they just don't know it. And that by virtue of being in hip-hop, they have those skills. So that's the beginning phase of my work. So I go to a young man who's a rapper who is describing his experiences in his neighborhood in a beautiful way, and he's written these detailed raps, and he's used these complex metaphors and analogies, and then he goes out there and he performs this rap, and he sees himself as anti-intellectual, but he sees himself as a hip-hop artist. And I say to him, do you know that by virtue of sitting out there and describing what you saw every day, that you have keen observation skills? And every field scientist needs keen observation skills. Do you know that by, by, by the fact that you created and crafted that rap, and it's so detailed, that that's actually analogous to the skills of the scientists who are taking, who are recording evidence of their research? You know, do you know by the fact that you are making those connections using metaphor and analogy that, that those are the same kind of skills that Einstein used and Newton used and Galileo used in order to shift the paradigm in science? And, and once young people realize that, are you telling me that because I'm a dope rapper, because I'm a great MC, or, or because I can, I can have an audience sit and listen to me, that those skills are actually scientific? They start seeing themselves differently. And that's the internal work that the previous uh, our caller just talked about, that they see that by virtue of being who they are, that they are brilliant. And once you've got the young people to believe that, then we shift up to the teacher. And so for the teacher, we say, hey, teacher, you want to be culturally relevant, but you're focusing on these youth culture based on a misconception of who they are. So what I will do for you, teacher, and I actually teach classes at Columbia University, I teach a class called Hip-Hop and the Cultural Studies of Science Education, is helping the teachers to realize the corollaries between the culture and and between the culture of hip-hop and the culture of science. And how do we do that? First, the sort of notion of an anti-establishment ethos, the fact that, you know, the scientist has to, has to sort of move against the norm and create a new idea, and that yeah, young people are doing this every day. You know, the, the fact that the scientists have to have these what we call science-mindedness skills, the, the, the keen imagination, that Einstein imagining himself riding a light beam in outer space, expressing this deep uh, imagination that the young people are doing this, that we let the teachers 
see videos of rap audiences and see rap ciphers and see how kids are learning from each other outside of school and then helping them to change their practice so it looks more like the way the kids engage. Now, if you have the students feeling focused, bro, you have the teachers learning how to appreciate and respect the new culture, then the classroom experience becomes different. And then we can introduce the science content and the kids become successful in science. So mm-hmm. that's the teacher and student layer of it all. And, you know, mm-hmm. and beyond that, it's also speaking to academia and academics to sort of welcome these new possibilities, seeing these used in different ways. Um, it, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a long and, and detailed process, but it's a process where you can have some results. Kids are showing up to school more. We have increased attendance rates. We have higher test scores. Um, I mentioned earlier, we have kids who are, who are going to school and declaring science majors. They're creating a network. They're seeing themselves as different than anybody has ever seen them before. Um, and, and, and that's the way that we could sort of the basic way. Again, it's so much more nuanced, but it's a basic way that we sort of refashioned uh, public education. There, there, there are two things that come to mind as, as you describe this. Um, uh, a, a number of things that I've been thinking about, uh, and that is that my generation, we were taught in personal and self-enrichment because I attended segregated schools, public mm-hmm. schools, and um, um, we were taught through the voices of the poets and writers yeah. of African-American history. Mm-hmm. And that was a strategy, and that <laughs> is that we learn the richness of of our culture through those voices. Later on... Uh, another generation, the generation coming, um, my my daughter's generation, they learned it through actually doing their own writing, journaling, and and writing their own poetry and writing their own essays and speeches, where we learned the essays and speeches of people like James Weldon Johnson and W. E. B. Du Bois. Um, and and now we have a culture. I mean, education has to tailor itself to engage students and, I mean, your, your kids go to, to school. All of you understand out there that your kids go to school and you learn something from what they're learning, mm-hmm. not just what they're learning in the classroom, but what they're learning in their educational environment. In their in their culture, you do learn some things. And so, uh, and and we have to, uh, learn to compromise and capitulate about how we think about the world through the diversity of, uh, I mean, that's part of getting older, that there you have a diversity of perspectives because you are older and you have lived through the transformation of culture in our society. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, Absolutely. you know, imagine for a minute you know, that, Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. I, I, it's, not that, it's not that some kids won't do well within traditional schooling. It's what I want folks to realize. I'm not saying that the way schools are, no kids are doing well at all and no kid would ever do well. So some students are successful within the traditional, traditional school model. The reality, though, is that those kids are the exception to the rule. And so why do we teach to the exception instead of teach to get all youth engaged? And, and you know, Every student can benefit from a different approach to teaching and learning. And so, you know, this, whenever I talk to teachers, they say, well, you know, it works for those three kids in the back. That's scoring really high. And I said, well, you know, what about the other 27 kids in your classroom? 
Um, and so it, the issue is here to, to be able to create a, a wider swath and to create to, to capture a wider population, a more robust population. You have to use a different approach. You have to you have to you have to be different and also realize that the kids who learn the old way are better served when they learn differently. Also, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so it, it's something that the drawback doesn't exist. I was re, I was recently in Utah and people always say you went to Utah to talk about hip hop education. Absolutely. And, and we're in a vast amount of African-American people there, but the reality is that this, pro, this approach to education is best served for everyone. But why can't we take a model that we created and use that for everyone? Why don't we have to consistently use a model that's, that's divorced from us and what we should be using? You know, and, and that's a whole other argument, is that why can't we refashion education that's based on something that we create? Why do we have to go through a system that is created purposefully not to have you to be successful? Yeah, yeah, that that makes a great uh, a great deal of sense. And but you know, one of the dilemmas that we have is innovating our own thinking, uh, re reengineering our thinking about who our children are and the entrenchment of our growing population over the last thirty five years. And the, I mean, when when I was a kid and everybody, I mean, when you wore skinny jeans and and loafers, that was an outrageous thing. But people didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this generation, the hip hop generation, and the things that they do. People have such animosity and such hostility about the same kinds of things. If you do a parallel comparative to their own generation. The other is it is race-based. Mm-hmm. Anything black people do, I mean, you got to apply that here. You just can't apply that in isolation to your politics and to your other stuff. Of course. It, it, you it have is an America mm-hmm. who sees hip-hop as black and everything black is bad. Mm-hmm. So our children are ensconced in this badness. And I think what you're saying, Dr. Emden, is that we have to liberate them Absolutely. from these new chains. Absolutely. We, we, can't, we can't afford to let them stay in that space. We just can't. I mean, it yeah. is another way of respecting ourselves. That you know, we we cannot allow our narrow thinking to demon to support a system of white supremacy that demonizes our children. You just can't do it. Yeah. It's not going away, folks. All of you out there sitting out there <laughs> thinking it's gonna go away. It's not going away. The outcomes are not changing. And if this works, you know, you, you are, we are always talking about you do what works. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you about science and and technology and the um, uh, uh, the style of addressing the hip hop culture to try to because this is very important. We mm-hmm. have not been developing. Uh, our scientific community. We have not been developing, even though we say that, but that's not true. I'm involved in a group called Black Girls Code, 
These are black children, and they love hip-hop music, and they constantly play it. When I go to their workshops, I can't hear myself think for the music. <laughs> and 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 you wouldn't believe, you just wouldn't believe how these girls are so creative that they they have they have their their, their hip hop wear is kind of like um they have african gaylies on with vintage clothes and mm-hmm. i mean they are just we might call them eccentric but they are not mm-hmm. they're just our new children they're right. just our children and what they do is they spend all night, half the night on the internet, and the other, and twi- they've got their own Twitter little bill, and and they write code. The group Brilliant. is now writing an application for me, uh, for an application, an Android application, for TruthWorks Network and for Our Common Ground, you know so that you can go to the Android market. And you can get the application downloaded, and you can listen to our common ground on the archives and live. Wow! Now, how about that? Those are black children doing that. That's right. And and what I think is fascinating about the story that you just described, what just struck me the most is that all that was happening here is that whatever that environment was, which is obviously an out of school environment, because in school they wouldn't be allowed to be themselves. Is, is all of this is just allowing them to be themselves. If you allow young people to be themselves and you welcome it and you accept it, the opportunity for them to express their brilliance will inevitably emerge. When you are in a Absolutely. space where you can listen to your music, you can wear your clothes you want to wear, you can use your slang when you want to use your slang, we still teach you how to speak appropriately, but it's okay for you to use that in this space. Like here we accept you then all the walls and the barriers are broken down. This is what I write about in my book, this, this notion of the ice grill. I would work, walk into an urban space and you interact with a young black male. They have a, in hip-hop, there's a term called the ice grill. It's, this, it's, this, it's an angry face that they put on. And that angry face they put on is perceived by some to be just a physical mask, a physical change of distortion of the face. But in reality, that to put that mask on, it's, it's, it's layers of, of, of psychological barriers that you're putting up front so that people who are in front of you, they, they don't get to see the real you because you know that they don't, they don't accept you. And because you know they don't accept you, you put up these barriers that don't get an opportunity to see the real you. Once you create a space where the ice grill is melted, where the true self becomes expressed, where the core identity becomes expressed just as readily as a role or a sub-identity, then the possibilities are endless because all you have to do in that space is, here you are, let me introduce you to a new concept, a new idea. They'll take that and run with it. Some of this is complex, but some of it is simple. The simplicity piece of it is let the kids be who they are within that classroom space and feel comfortable, and then you introduce them to new material, and then, then their natural curiosity takes over, and then they learn. It's that simple. Yeah, it is that simple. For instance, I was thinking that one of the things that I could see happening in the inner city is that um, groups of young people who are really opposed to and rap about the new surveillance that people are talking about, Dr. Don is talking about in our chat room, that I could see them writing raps about it and and put and engaging in music in with about it and then somebody really saying okay let's get a gadget 
a mm-hmm. gun that you could point at the camera and the camera would not be able to operate. Listen, uh, people, I, I mean, I can see that already. I've been in I've been in at public schools all across the country where in a, we have a generation that's so deeply entrenched in social media and using social media. And you go to most schools in the country, and and YouTube is banned. Um, which is that is you know I I say embrace the YouTube and teach kids how to use it properly, but they'll ban certain web, social media websites and classrooms. And it, I've been in a number of school districts where the kids. Listen, this is my culture. I need to get on there. I need to use the YouTube. I need to go to a website. The kids have developed mechanisms to be able to, to, to go around the security systems within the school to be able to get the information that they want. They develop proxy servers. They found all these mechanisms to be able to meet their needs. And these are people that, these are students that people are putting in the special education classes. You, you mean to tell me that you are categorizing this person as not being intelligent enough to be successful in a fifth or seventh or eighth grade class? But yet, mm-hmm. you put them in front of a computer, and they have found a way to go around a multi-million-dollar security system on a computer and do what it is they need to do anyway. If you're going to tell me they're not intelligent, perhaps that's a function of you not knowing the fact that they are intelligent. So once they want something, they find a way to do it and to learn it. And the way you get them to want something is to let them to realize that that thing that's out there is in them already. And in our narrowness, when we begin to think about um, this whole culture in a narrow way, what we do is we obfuscate the issue of what race plays, what what the issue of that poverty plays and economics, and our political impotence uh, plays in out in all of this. Um, you know, I, I think that we have got to begin to understand that in everything we have to um, separate the the wheat from the chaff. And, 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 you know, I see people who are talking, uh, having a discussion about how toxic some of the music, but don't look just at the music. Look at the culture, the belief, the belief that we can no longer be hypocrites about who we are as a people in this country, as perceived by this country, and in a global system of white supremacy. That's one of the beliefs of of the hip-hop culture, because we played like it was all over once, once, uh, once it was all over in 1969. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's an issue we perpetually have, and I think people are always, you know, they will, they, they, we will forever get caught up in the negative aspects of something. And I don't want to, I don't want people to, 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 to have the impression that I, I, that I, that I am for the negative themes in certain forms of rap music. Of course, I'm not. It doesn't make any sense. What I am for is understanding one where they come from. Two, understanding who is giving those messages. And three, informing my youth to be able to become critical enough where they can deconstruct those lyrics and realize that, A, it's a fabrication, or B, I'm not necessarily into it, and give them alternatives within hip-hop so they can use their own culture to to fashion new possibilities. So it's not a matter of accepting things. I know you said you mentioned people are talking about the negativity in hip-hop or whatever else. Yeah, it's there. But to be completely honest, there's negativity in everything. I mean, let's, let's, let's stop kidding ourselves here. If you want to critique negativity, you're going to choose the negativity and have to critique when, you're, you, when, you, when you don't open your mouth 
when negativity and 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 and, and violence and and misogyny is is through your television screen on a daily basis, when you pay eight dollars and fifty cents or ten dollars, whatever it is, to go to the movies to watch a violent movie that exhibits misogyny, exhibits racism, ex- exhibits racist themes, that you walk the streets every day and you you see a political party, a political party that's talking about revoking the rights of women. It's you know it's it's so silly. I find it so 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 silly. It's it's beyond fascinating. It's just problematic that you have people of color who will ignore issues on the political sphere that talk about violence and misogyny. They will ignore those issues in in the in the media. They will involve. They will ignore those issues issues in by political figures. They will ignore it by mu in in music that's not hip hop. They will ignore it on television. They will ignore it on the movies. They will ignore it when it's their boss. They will ignore it when every other person is slapping them in the face with these same negative images. But the minute it comes from a young person who looks just like you, your seed, your grandchild, you are up in arms revoking that. That is that that to me is a problematic piece. When you have people who are part of the culture, who are the ancestors of the culture, who are the forefathers of the culture, who are the the, the parents, the grandmothers, the people who should be using it, the people who come from from the oral tradition. That is it is part of who you are. That you will ignore everybody else in the globe who is telling you that you are less than possible. And you will focus on your own child and tell him how bad he is. How distorted are we? Genuinely, how distorted are we? That we have reached a point where we where we fight against ourselves before we fight against our common enemy, who are telling us negative images for ourselves across the political, social, and media sphere. Wow. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Our guest tonight is Dr. Christopher Emden, who was recently awarded the Best Paper for Innovation in Teaching by the Association for Science Teachers Association Education and was named Groundbreaking Educator by Arrive Magazine. He was also awarded uh, the Phi Delta Kappa Outstanding Dissertation and Emerging Leader Awards. And we're talking about this new innovation that he advocates, and that is using the foundation of the hip-hop generation in our educational innovations and models. Uh, Dr. Emden, I am um, I, I am almost there except for, um, you know, a, a part of what has happened is that we are focusing on the music mm-hmm. rather than focusing on the culture. And I am so pleased that you were able to bring us to a place and to really lay out for us that this is about culture. This is about what our children believe. Absolutely. What what they prioritize. How they fashion their music and their poetry and their literature. I mean, um I have a a a, a grandson who just turned 11 last month and he is so into journaling. Mm. Um I mean, we don't have to to tell him, and he shares his journals. And inside our children's writings, whether it be rap lyrics or hip-hop uh, genre beats, is are their aspirations, mm-hmm. are their visions about themselves, their vision 
and understanding about who we are as a people, and we need to encourage that as much as we can. The other is we have been yelling and screaming for a thousand years about wanting and needing culturally appropriate, competent education for our children. Well, here you go. <laughs> you know, I, you know that that that's exactly it. I mean, it's it's here, it's in front of us, and um, you know, and I and I and I and I also, you know, want to make clear that I purposely have made the decision, um, in my work. Well, not just because I'm a scientist by training, but um, but because um, I I'm an advocate for the for the discipline of science and and, and for STEM education. And I purposely make the decision to utilize hip hop within STEM education because the expectation is that. Oh, he's going to use hip hop. They're going to talk about the arts. He's going to use hip hop. They're going to talk about language. And I think that it aligns to language. It aligns to the arts. But let's not forget that we also are very scientifically and mathematically minded people. That we can we can trace the, the science mindedness of our of our people back to the continent. And um, you know, the building blocks of most some of the most complex scientific uh, ideas of our time are rooted in the history of black folks. And so let's not, you know, part of the reason why we, that, I, that I focus on the, the, the scientific approach is also to, to reawaken the possibilities to reclaim our collective ancestry as brilliance within, within science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, I mentioned earlier the fact that you know, the post-Sputnik era in the United States, it created a, 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 a situation where people were saying only the best and brightest will go into these disciplines. But at the same time, at that time that we were focusing on the best and brightest, we were, we were knee-deep in a nation that was rooted in, 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 in racism, where a person of color, regardless of their intellectual acumen, would not have been positioned as the best and brightest. And so the root of the discipline of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education in the United States is one that necessarily positions folks of color outside of the realm of the best and brightest. And so the work now is to sort of re, sort of, sort of change that, that tradition, that, that we want to reimmerse our students in, in being and seeing themselves as the best and brightest, that we focus on English and literacy and the arts and, and the quote-unquote soft sciences, and, and yes, we can do that, but we can also be scientists, we can also be mathematicians, we can also be engineering, engineers, and we can also be you know, the, the people who create the new technologies. It, it is in us. It is in us. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've got to start doing in our homes and with our children and in our community centers and talking to our neighbors about is talking to our children about things like the food that they eat and what chemistry does. I was fascinated a couple of weeks ago about a report on 60 Minutes uh, about the development of a flavoring, a a, a huge corporation that develops flavors Mm -hmm. uh, to, to add to processed foods so that they taste more like the orange that it says it's orange flavored or they... I mean, I was just so absolutely fascinated and sitting and watching this show and saying, God, why didn't somebody tell me when I was 15 or 14 years old or 13 or 12 that the stuff in the in that makes the knee-high strawberry soda taste strawberry is something is not strawberry. It's something somebody developed in a lab. I would have been a chemist. Uh, 
but we need to be talking about children and what it means to be poor. Uh, and we need to stop trying to make our children feel like it's it's bad to be poor, but what it means to be poor and 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 what things affect their poverty, like Monsanto, like fracking, like what happened in the Gulf of Mexico, and what kind of people and professionals were, were needed uh, in the scenarios of all of those things. Absolutely, I think you know part of our work has to be also the teaching, te- you know, teaching science and teaching the subject matter uh, for for social political action. And 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 I, I unfortunately I have to leave now. I am being called away. Um, okay, Doctor Christopher Endem, thank you so much, and we will invite you back. Thank you so um, much. It's, it's been an honor to be here and to speak with you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for for being with us. That right. was Doctor Christopher Emden. Um, spending time with us talking about his research on issues of race, class, and diversity in urban science um, and new models of innovative educational styles that meet the needs of our children, that engage our children. And we really thank you, and we thank you for your calls, uh, India Declare and 276, uh, for joining us. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to you about some stuff we'll be right back you're listening to our common ground if america's talking about it we're talking about it you're listening to our common ground with janice graham Our Common Ground, where real talk matters. I'm Janice Graham. Join us in our conversation. It's time. It's time to be black, bold, and brave. Transforming truth to power. One broadcast at a time. Our Common Ground. Those who came before you pledged their lives to the right to vote. After Susan B. Anthony was arrested for voting, the women's rights movement intensified through mass marches, hunger strikes, and demonstrations. In the early 1900s, 40,000 women marched in solidarity. Hundreds of White House protesters were arrested and jailed. During World War I, Freedom Begins at Home was a rallying cry. And in 1920, American women won the right to vote. The right to vote was fought for you with great heroism and courage. Honor history. Voter suppression is your business. Please register to vote. Please ensure that you are resisting voter suppression in your community. And don't forget to vote in November. I'm Janice Graham. Hey, I got you. 
what we see before our eyes. The sky is green and the grass is blue. But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this economy. And people are sabotaging this country. You're listening to The Alpha Show on TruthWorks Network. This is how we do it. Black people have lost their minds because what they are doing is simply giving a wink and a nod, stepping back. And right quick, on Thursday, House Republicans criticized the Justice Department for challenging voter ID laws. Critical lawmakers believe that the Department of Justice is acting in a partisan manner and that Department of Justice action shows that the Obama administration is more concerned with winning in November. Only at TruthWorks Network. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is how we do it. It's Friday night. The Alpha Show. Hi, this is Janice Graham, executive producer of TruthWorks Network. I'd like to extend to you a special invitation to join us in a six-part series, which begins August 27th, here at TruthWorks Network. Working while black. Most of us will agree that discrimination in employment has taken a whole new form since America's dissolution of the concept of affirmative action in employment. Employment rights, gone. Discrimination violations, done. They've moved on to the vote, but we still must work. Working While Black, hosted by Ricardo Jones, He is a former senior investigator for the EEOC. We'll be taking your calls, your discussions, and your agenda about workplace discrimination in America. Six weeks working while black, starting here at TruthWorks Network, August 27th, every Monday, 10 p.m. At TruthWorks Network, if America is talking about it, we're talking about it on the black side. TruthWorks Network is the Black Voice Collaborative. Informed, invigorating, interesting. Talk radio. This is Janice Graham of Our Common Ground. I'd like to invite you to a very special Our Common Ground broadcast on September 22nd. We'll be hosting as our guest, Ohio State Senator Nina Turner. She is the talkback, pushback legislator in the state of Ohio and is a warrior model for all black elected officials. We hope you'll join us with Senator Nina Turner on September 22nd, 10 p.m., Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, 
and I'll be listening for you. Little Shirley Scott there at our Common Ground tonight. How about that? Thank you so very much for being with us uh, in our chat room. We have Alpha. It can be heard on TruthWorks Network at Friday nights at 10 p.m. It's Urban Progressive Political Talk with the granddaddy of talk radio on Blog Talk Radio. He won't be with us on Friday night, but we'll be airing the best of the Alpha Show. And we'll be right here in the chat room to talk with you. Doc Don... Uh, is with us tonight, uh, and we thank India Declare for her call of the India Declare Show, broadcasting Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. And Michelle Odom is with us. She is the producer of Soul of Fire at TruthWorks Network. And don't forget to catch Dr. Matthew V. Johnson, which who has something important, riveting. You know, Dr. Johnson is a new voice in the wilderness. And if you have not, you can catch him on the archives at TruthWorks Network or and make sure you catch him on Wednesday night at 10 p.m. And the final episode is up next two weeks. Uh, at Working While Black, where we talk about workplace and employment discrimination. This week we're going to be opening up the lines just to talk about all of the issues that's on your mind. That's 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. And don't forget, next Saturday here at Our Common Ground, we will be hosting a guest, a very special guest, a person that I have such admiration and respect for, and she is Ohio Senator Nina Turner. She is the minority whip of the Ohio State Senate, and she has been, uh, as my grandmother say, been calling order in the state of Ohio, and I hope that you will join us for that. We need you to help us increase and make bigger independent black talk radio. Uh, Let your friends know about that we are here. And until Tuesday night with Working While Black, Wednesday night, Soul of Fire, where Spirit Matters talk radio, and the Alpha Show next Friday night at 10 p.m., and right back here with Ohio State Senator Nina Turner. I'm Janice Graham, and thank you so very much for being with us. You've been tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And don't forget, here, Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Have a great weekend.
maybe a young turk, maybe 